That's the beta-adrenergic receptor. Let's call it the beta-adrenergic receptor. It's unique in its primary sequence. That's why it's called the beta-adrenergic. The adrenergic term is because it is activated by epinephrine or adrenaline or norepinephrine or noradrenaline. Okay? So that's the adrenergic term. So when there is a, here's epinephrine there, activates the receptor, changes its conformation, which in turn activates the G protein. Here's the G protein that you want to kind of be familiar with. This G protein is made up of three subunits, designated alpha, beta, gamma. The reason we call it G protein, because it can bind the nucleotide GDP, it can also bind GTP. So when the receptor associates with this G protein, it causes two things to happen. The first one is the alpha subunit here dissociates from the other two subunits, beta and gamma. The second thing that happens is the GDP that was bound to the alpha subunit is replaced by GTP. So what you end up with is this single subunit, GS-alpha, with GTP bound to it. You see these sort of things here? This is the active G protein. This is the only form a G protein is active in. The alpha subunit with GTP bound to it. So, it's called, it's designated small s because this is a stimulatory G protein. So GS-alpha with GTP bound to it is going now to bind the target enzyme or effector enzyme I mentioned before, adenylate cyclase. Adenylate cyclase is going to take ATP. You remember, notice that adenylate cyclase is part of the membrane, but whatever it produces is going to be produced inside the cytoplasm. So it takes ATP and cyclizes it, hence the name cyclase, adenylate cyclase, to produce this pink structure here is cyclic AMP, the second messenger produced by the beta-adrenergic uh, system or the adenylate cyclase system. You with me so far? Okay, you need to know those details. Everything I just said you need to know. Okay? Second thing, this is the only second messenger produced. First of all, cyclic AMP is the only second messenger produced. Cyclic AMP is going now to activate a protein kinase. And if you're not sure what a protein kinase is, a protein kinase is an enzyme that is able to phosphorylate 
other enzymes or other proteins on specific residues. Typically, these kinases will phosphorylate a different type of amino acid. They will phosphorylate serine residues or threonine residues. Just keep that in mind. So, peak, uh, so cyclic AMP activates a protein kinase A. The A is dependent on cyclic A. That's basically, if you want to remember the name of the protein kinase, just remember cyclic A, it activates protein kinase A. Now, this has many cellular substrates, and it's going to phosphorylate many enzymes on specific residues and change the activity of, their of these enzymes, either negatively or positively. Okay? So you need to remember the stimulus, the type of receptor, the type of G protein, the active form of the G protein, and the effector enzyme, the second messenger, and then the second messenger activating protein kinase A as the, f the last step. <coughs> There's a little more detail here. This is just the G protein by itself, and I just want you to, let's say this G protein was activated by the receptor, and here comes GTP, it kicks off the GDP, replaces it, and it binds to, GT, to the alpha subunit after it has dissociated from the beta gamma. This is the active form of the G protein, uh, GS alpha. Importantly, though, I want to just say to you that this GS alpha and all alpha subunits, all alpha subunits of G protein have an enzymatic activity. That enzymatic activity is called GTPase. GTPase meaning it can hydro hydrolyze GTP, and when you hydrolyze GTP, you return it to GDP. This form is no longer active. The alpha subunit reassociates with the trimer, with the beta gamma, and the activation of adenylate cyclase is terminated. So what's very important to appreciate, this is a shutoff signal, a termination signal to the adenylate cyclase system. You turn off the activation of adenylate cyclase by hydrolyzing GTP back to GDP. This form can no longer activate cyclic uh, activate an adenylate cyclase and produce cyclic AMP, okay? It's very important to appreciate that in all cells, when you activate something, you have to have a turn-off mechanism. It's kind of like when you turn on the light, right? I mean, if you uh, keep the light on, the bulbs won't last as long. So the same with the cell. If the cell is usually these hormonal effects on receptors are short-term effects, you know, for minutes or seconds even. So you want to have a turn-off mechanism. This is a turn-off mechanism. Part of the GTP, uh, GS uh, alpha has a GTPase activity. 
that can hydrolyze GTP back to GDP and terminate this entire process. Okay, and here's another one, uh, kind of more, but really we've gone through it enough. I just want you to appreciate that uh, the effects of cyclic AMP, so before receptor activation, there was no cyclic AMP. This is what I want you to appreciate. After receptor activation, cyclic AMP goes up. So the only reason you have cyclic AMP is due to the activation of adenylate cyclase by GS, G-alpha-S or GS-alpha. Okay? Cyclic AMP is an allosteric, if you want, activator of this enzyme, PKA, protein kinase A. This has many substrates that can phosphorylate enzyme and change their activity. Importantly, you note the color change. So this is green. That's specific for epinephrine. This is turquoise. That's specific for glucagon. A different receptor needs a different stimulus. The glucagon receptor here will be activated by glucagon only. Cannot be activated by epinephrine or norepinephrine. However, on the intracellular side, everything is identical. GS-alpha, adenylate cyclase, cyclic AMP is produced and PKA is activated. And again, finally, a reminder that the alpha subunit has GTPase activity to hydrolyze GTP to GDP to terminate this entire process. So I'm going to tell you, uh, give you a quick reason here. The reason you have this redundancy, two different receptors stimulating the same pathway because these receptors have different tissue distribution. There may be more glucagon receptors on one tissue and no beta-adrenergic receptors. Conversely, you may have a more wider distribution of beta-adrenergic receptors on many tissues, but no glucagon receptors. Okay? So that's the importance of this redundancy. Again, you don't need to know the exact details, just that cyclic AMP is needed to activate PKA. PKA is going to phosphorylate specific uh, enzymes. Uh, in this case, really, I just want you to see the amplification effect. You can activate one beta-adrenergic receptor here by epinephrine, one adenylate cyclase molecule, maybe producing 40 of this, 40 molecules of, uh, of cyclic AMP. And due to, th and then cyclic AMP activates another 10 molecules of PKA and so on. And at the end, you, got, you produced almost 10,000 molecules of glucose. You have stimulated the glycogenolysis. So that's a very important concept. Amplification is by this receptor-mediated activation of the beta-adrenergic receptor. You don't need to know the details, but appreciate what has happened in this process. 
you know, this gives you a lot of the same details. I think I'll just kind of go through them, but, uh, you know, all the different steps, because we need to move on. Uh, I want to just stop one more, take one more uh, thing here. So cyclic AMP, when it's produced in the cytoplasm, it could stay for a long time. However, it doesn't stay. There is an enzyme that takes cyclic AMP and breaks it down back to AMP. This molecule is no longer active. It can no longer activate PKA. This enzyme is called phosphodiesterase. Phosphodiesterase is also, phosphodiesterase is therefore another termination signal for this cascade. We have two termination signals. The GTPase activity of the alpha subunit and phosphodiesterase breaking down or hydrolyzing cyclic AMP, therefore removing it from the cytosol, and therefore it can no longer have any effects on PKA. Okay? So very important, two termination signals here for the adenylate cyclase beta adrenergic system uh, that we just talked about. <clears throat> so here's a quick summary. There's only one second messenger, cyclic AMP produced by either the beta-adrenergic system activated by epinephrine or the glucagon receptor activated by glucagon. Cyclic AMP activates PKA. PKA phosphorylates multiple target proteins and enzymes changing their activity. Termination is through off this cascade is by removing the cyclic AMP with phosphodiesterase as well as hydrolyzing the GTP bound to the alpha subunits. So, so two termination signals will stop this uh, receptor activation. And uh, here are two important inhibitors of this uh, cyclic AMP phosphodiesterase, caffeine and theophylline. That's all that uh, is, uh, they can uh, really increase the half-life of cyclic AMP inside the cytoplasm. More summaries, so just let them uh, go through those. Um, I want you to just uh, appreciate one very important thing about protein kinase A, which is activated directly by cyclic AMP, by the increase in intracellular cyclic AMP. Look at this, these pathways. And that's not even a complete list, okay? This is a partial list. So this pathway, the activation of the beta-adrenergic receptor producing cyclic AMP and PKA, activating PKA, affects a whole plethora of uh, metabolic pathway, including glycogen synthesis, glycogen um, uh, degradation, uh, glycolysis, uh, uh, lipolysis, and a whole variety of other pathways, okay? And these effects, I just want to tell you, are quick effects, meaning that they occur within minutes because uh, PKA will phosphorylate specific enzymes. For example, it, might phosphor it will phosphorylate an enzyme called glycogen synthase and inhibit it. 
by uh, phosphorylation. So as a result, you stop glycogen synthesis under specific conditions. However, there are also effects. So this is just a quick reminder. You've already covered uh, uh, a lot of this stuff before, I assume. But a quick reminder of important enzyme regulatory mechanism. Obviously, availability of substrates is important. Allosteric activation, you know that. Uh, and, and a small molecule binding at a site distinct from the substrate binding site. You have covalent modification of enzymes is really important. And that's what we're talking about by PKA, phosphorylating specific enzymes. Adding a phosphate to a specific enzyme to change in its activity. All three of these are very fast, can happen very fast. The last one, induction or upregulation, is quite slow. Okay? Maybe hours or days. I just want you to appreciate that some of the cyclic AMP effects are also slow effects. Here, just uh, this uh, box of green. I just uh, don't want to spend too much time on it, but here's again receptor, GS, adenylate cyclase, cyclic AMP increasing, activating protein kinase A. Protein kinase A can phosphorylate this protein called CREB. Cyclic AMP, a responsive element binding protein. That's why they abbreviated the name. So uh, when it gets phosphorylated, it's basically a transcription factor. It can translocate inside the nucleus, bind to a specific gene, and ex ex increase expression of the genes. The point of this is that cyclic A and PKA can have short-term effects fast, and some long-term effects like this on transcription factors. Why are, while we are on the topic of covalent modification of enzymes, this is what we were talking about before. PKA is the type of enzyme that can do this, add a phosphate to another enzyme. So this is called a, one of the most common covalent modifications. It's called covalent because you're creating a new covalent bond. Okay? There are many types of covalent modifications in the cell. You don't need to know all of them, but I want to point out this one. It's a covalent modification of an enzyme by adding a very large group here. ADP ribose, ADP ribosylation. I'm pointing out this important modification because it is relevant in certain types of infections. Okay? So if you add this group to some enzymes, ADP ribose, you inactivate them. And it so happens, the mechanism for cholera infection is based on that. So cholera toxin can stimulate 
the addition of an ADB, ADP ribose of GS-alpha, what we just talked about. When GS-alpha is ADP ribosylated due to cholera being present, <clears throat> it is no longer able to hydrolyze GTP. So it is perpetually active. So it is perpetually activating uh, adenylate cyclase. It's perpetually producing cyclic A and P. It's perpetually producing PKA. So uh, I want you to just see this here, and then I'll go back to the other one, the other toxin. But first, I want you to see this is the toxin produced by E. coli, other similar uh, bacteria. Uh, E. coli promotes the addition of the modification of GS-alpha. This is a protein. It adds this large molecule to it at where the active site essentially is. Remember, this is a GTPase that hydrolyzes GTP. So when you add ADP ribose, GS is stuck in the GTP form. It can no longer hydrolyzed GTP, so it is continuously activating adenylate cyclase, you continuously produce cyclic AMP, cyclic AMP activates protein kinase A, protein kinase A phosphorylate this very important channel, cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator, CFTR, here's the phosphate from PKA, activating the channel which continuously pumps out chloride as well as sodium and water will be lost as a consequence. So that's the diarrhea effects of cholera toxin. Okay? So all you need to know is that you in inactivating GS-alpha by ADP ribose addition to it due to cholera toxin causes the manifestations of cholera. There's another G protein that we haven't talked about, but I just want you to know what it is. It's called GI-alpha. It's an inhibitory G protein. <clears throat> this one is subject to ADP ribosylation by a different toxin called pertussis toxin. The outcome of that is a whooping cough. So the mechanism for this is basically, we don't need to get into the mechanism. I'm not going to cover the mechanism because it will confuse you. But I, you only need to know that pertussis toxin, adding the same type of group, ADP ribose, to a different G protein results in the whooping cough uh, condition. Okay. All right, that's all you need to, be, to know about pertussis toxin. However, color toxin, you need to know a little more detail as I showed on the same slide. Next slide. I guess I do have, an, I don't know why I have this here. You know, let me do this. Uh, I'm going to skip here and maybe go back to it because I'm behind, okay? You with me? Okay.
So are you all with me? You, un you get the, the key things? Okay, make sure you know the mechanism of color toxin uh, action. Uh, make sure you understand the termination signals, GTPAs, and phosphodiesterase. Okay, the second, the second type of receptor or second messenger system we want to talk about is called the phosphoenositide system as a second messenger system. And this time the name of the receptor is alpha-1 adrenergic. Alpha-1 adrenergic. Again, the stimulus is the same. Epinephrine, nor epinephrine. But really the identity of the receptor is unique. This is completely different in its primary structure than the beta adrenergic receptor. Okay? It is also going to activate a different G protein. It's going to activate a different effector enzyme. It is going to activate, uh, produce a different set of uh, second messengers. Okay? But before I start this phosphoenositide system, I want to introduce you to this term here and what it means. Okay? So, uh, Again, the same thing applies, you know, you have specificity there, specificity at the G protein, specificity at the effector enzyme, and the type of second messengers produced. <clears throat> so, this, uh, this should be a summary slide, but here it is. Uh, alpha-1 adrenergic system, it's going to produce three different second messengers. Inositol, trisphosphate, calcium, diacylglycerol. And then it's going to activate a different protein kinase, designated protein kinase C. Okay? So I'm going to uh, leave this here for now, but I want to introduce you to the lipid that is important in this important cascade of events. This is a phosphatidyl inositol, which is a very minor lipid in the plasma membrane. From it, you can make an even more minor lipid called phosphatidyl inositol 4,5-bisphosphate, PIP2. This is its structure. This is part of the membrane, the cell membrane. It's on the interior leaflet of the cell membrane exposed to the cytoplasm, PIP2. So here's the story. PIP2 can be hydrolyzed by an enzyme called phospholipase C. Just on this structure, the enzyme goes here between the CH2 and that this phosphate and breaks this molecule almost in half. That's the name of the enzyme, phospholipase C. Now, here's another way to look at it. Here's the same molecule, PIP2. If you look at the entire thing first, is PIP2. The enzyme breaks between the phosphate and the glycerol, CH2 there, 
to give you two different molecules. IP3, inositol trisphosphate, this is a head group or a soluble molecule, and this is a lipophilic molecule, diacylglycerol. So I want you to really just get comfortable with this. The entire molecule is called PIP2, and it's the lipid. It's hydrolyzed by phospholipase C to give you two new molecules inside the cell, IP3 and DAG. So this is, uh, I like this one just to kind of show you the disposition. Here's the PIP2 we were talking about. When the enzyme phospholipase C is activated, it is going to break this molecule right there and produce IP3, which is a soluble polar head group that goes into the cytoplasm. The remainder of PIP2 is diacylglycerol stays in the membrane. Okay? So here's that first introduction. I want you to know what the players are. PIP2 is a substrate for phospholipase C. And phospholipase C, when it chews on, chews, chews on PIP2, it produces diacylglycerol and IP3. So here we go how the entire thing works. So I want you to think of this R here as the alpha-1 adrenergic receptor. Alpha-1 adrenergic receptor. Again, I want you to see when the receptor is activated by epinephrine or norepinephrine is going to activate this G protein, trimeric G protein. This time, the alpha subunit is designated GQ. This is something you want to know. Same thing happens. The GDP is replaced by GTP and the alpha subunit dissociates. This is the active form of GQ alpha with GTP bound to it. GTP, GQ alpha then in turn activates phospholipase C, abbreviated PLC. This enzyme moves along the membrane, finds the substrate we were talking about, PIP2, and breaks it basically in half, two different molecules. First one is this IP3. The second one is stays in the membrane because it's lipophilic. Just this part, think of this part for now, is the di uh, diacylglycerol or the DAG part. <coughs> so I want you to think for a second. Before receptor activation, neither IP3 nor DAG were present. After receptor activation, they were both produced. So what, makes, wh what does that make IP3 and DAG? Second messengers, great. Okay, 
So we have two second messengers produced by the activation of PLC hydrolyzing PIP2. In fact, there are three second messengers because this one, IP3, can move to the ER endoplasmic reticulum and binds to the ER and causes the release of calcium into the cytoplasm. So calcium also rises as well as IP3 and DAG. So in effect, the activation of the alpha-1 adrenergic system by epinephrine, uh, alpha-1 adrenergic receptor by epinephrine or norepinephrine produces three second messengers. Okay? IP3, DAG, and calcium. There's one last thing, which is that diacylglycerol and calcium. So I want you to look at this structure there. That structure there is an enzyme called protein kinase C, abbreviated PKC. That enzyme is activated by two things together, diacylglycerol and calcium. So they bind to the enzyme, and that in turn is going to phosphorylate specific proteins or enzymes and change their activity producing the cellular response. So this is analogous to the PKA in the beta adrenergic, except this one depends on calcium and DAG, two different second messengers. And the C here should remind you of, should remind you of calcium. That's actually why it is given that C is because it's a calcium and diacylglycerol-dependent protein kinase. So very important. Second messengers are three of them, IP3, DAG, and calcium. PIP2 is only a substrate. The, the identity of the G uh, protein is GQ alpha. The identity of the effector enzyme is PLC. The identity of the receptor is alpha-1 adrenergic receptor. So put those in their own little compartment and keep that separate from the ones in the beta adrenergic compartment. Okay? Don't mix the players. The players cannot mix and match. Okay? Keep them separate. Okay.